We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. Even Kobe, I don't think I've seen Kobe galvanize fans the way LeBron had just because it's so new. I think there's definitely pressure on all athletes to perform at a high level and be held accountable for their actions and what happens. But for him, I think that it's understood that they aren't the best team in the NBA. I don't think there's predictions and expectations for them to have the best record in the NBA. I think for him, it's just more like he's going to go be LeBron James. I'm not surprised that a lot of people are addicted to social media use. I'm addicted. I can admit it because I live this life. I see how fast or how quickly I am to go to Snapchat or to go to Instagram or to go to Twitter. Sometimes it's overwhelming. I've been leading my whole life. I led in middle school, I led in high school. I was a captain uh, on a college team where I played four years and helped en engineer one of the greatest upsets of all time. So I, I know what it takes. It's just about figuring out when, when the right time is for you to step up and, and display some of those skills. And I think now is the perfect time. Welcome to the Zaza Pachulia episode of Pull Up, number 27. It is a beautiful Tuesday in Portland, Oregon right now. Honestly, one of the nicest days I've seen this year. 69 degrees, where it's approximately 3.45 p.m. Just finished up another day of training camp, uh, enjoying the process of going through two-a-days, competing with our teammates, getting shots up, getting lifts in, trying to mix in work versus rest versus recovery versus synergy. Um, I've really enjoyed the process. Obviously, my Browns uh, let me down last week, but we're competing. We're getting better. We're building on something special. And I can't wait to see how we put everything together once Baker gets more comfortable with the offense, uh, once the defensive line continues to build on the work we've done up to this point. I look forward to seeing how we close out games. But uh, we, we will give you guys an update on training camp. We'll talk about what's going on around the league. We'll answer questions and much more. But without further ado, welcome Jordan Schultz to the show as always. CJ, um, I watched the Browns game and I thought about, man, how excited is this dude out here? He's wearing his jersey. He's fired up. He's at the stadium. I know they lost, but again, Baker had some pretty damn good throws. Goes for a couple TDs, a pick. It was a shootout. That's the kind of game that the Browns have never played that I can remember where they're able to score points at that level. So I, if, I'm, if I'm you, I'm ecstatic despite the loss. And then I saw your Instagram story. Afterward, you seem to be in a good mood. So obviously you didn't lose too much money or wine in the game. Yeah, I, I didn't lose more money than I could afford to give away. <laughs> but I think the biggest thing for us Browns fans is, is hope. You know, having that glimmer of hope to where we're right on the cusp of being a very good team. We've competed with some some good teams. We've showed signs of maturity, signs of growth, executing, being able to complete third and longs. Baker seems poised to continue to grow and learn and develop within the offense. And uh, I love Juice. Juice is performing at an elite level. Our running game is continuing to become as strong as any running game in the NFL. We got three-headed monsters. Uh, I'm really excited, man. I think that 
being in this position as a Browns fan to to see the future, understanding that the future is very very bright. Yeah, and he's he's got that you know I'm not going to be denied mentality that they need from their leader. So it is bright. And, and to your point about Juice, I mean him and Callaway and and Joku, those three players are young and talented. Nice to see Chubb break free. He had. I don't know, what was it, like four carries for 100-something yards, a couple scores? He, he, Him and, and Hyde and Duke, they, they have weapons. So I'm excited. Yeah, we have weapons for the first time in a long time at multiple positions. I can't remember us l- losing a game and scoring 42 points. Frankly, I can't remember the last time we scored 42 points in general. But I was really excited and encouraged by the offense. And you talked about Chubbs. Chubbs had – Two rushes for over 50 yards, yeah. and they both were touchdowns. It's the first time that's happened with our Browns running back since Jim Brown. Yeah, no, it's that, that says all you need to know. And then the only other question I had for you was about a former Browns quarterback, Johnny Manziel. Um, in a segment that aired during ESPN Sunday NFL Countdown, Manziel wrote a letter. He was tasked with writing a letter to Baker. He says, Dear Baker, if there's, if there's one thing you already know, one thing that everybody already knows, you and I are not the same person. Uh, he goes on to say uh, the fact that they're not going to be defined by the uniform they wear. Uh, you know, it's fascinating because Manziel is only two years older than Mayfield, and it seems like he's been around forever. Do you like the fact that he kind of comes out? And I don't know if it was advice so much if it was like a, a personal here's what not to do list. Um, but what did you think about that? I thought it was cool. I think that there's a lot of comparisons that come between the two, although they're completely different. The circumstances, the situation, how they play, how they perform. Uh, Johnny was more of a scrambler. He liked to get out and, and kind of gunsling it. Baker's more poised in the pocket. He gets the ball out very quickly and has been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the history of college football. So their situations are completely different. One was the number one pick. One was late first round. Obviously, there's question marks surrounding both of them for, for different reasons. But you can't question Baker's love for football. They're, they've never doubted whether or not he loves the game. They never doubted whether or not he's going to study the playbook. I think the situations for those two players was completely different yeah. um, based on what I've heard and what I've seen and how they performed. And even Johnny came out and said it. You know, he liked football. He wasn't in love with it. He wasn't in love with it. He wasn't studying the playbook. There's a lot of things he didn't do. And I think he talked about it and has talked about it in the past. And he just wanted to kind of clear the air, basically letting people know that Baker is his own man. Yeah. And, and Baker, we talked about it a little bit. We touched on it last week. But Baker was was super impressive, you know, on the board. And he's continues to develop his feel for the offense and understanding. Johnny has publicly said that he wasn't really all in when he was in Cleveland. Um, and that's why he's in the CFL. He did throw a touchdown pass, his first one. Um, for Montreal, his first one in the CFL. So that's awesome. hopefully that's the start of something good. Um, but listen, I'm I'm fired up for you. I'm excited for the Browns and uh, turning the page. I'm you know big week, second week of training camp. How do you feel and uh, what's the feeling around the club? I feel great, man. I'm in I'm in a good space mentally, physically. You know, heading into season number six, having a better understanding of scheduling, how to balance sleep, rest family life, personal life, recovery, podcasts, when to get work in versus when to kind of shut it down, when to schedule my hot yoga versus when to schedule my massage and float. So I feel I feel awesome. Uh, practices have been competitive, very tough. We always keep track of wins and losses to, to make things a little bit more interesting. And I think that we're, we're in a really good place. Uh, Mo should be back here shortly and give us a, a full look at a healthy lineup and, and what we're, what we're going to have heading into this uh, upcoming season. 
with uh, four four games left to go in the preseason before we take on the Lakers, I think we'll continue to experiment with lineups, allow some of the camp guys to play, allow some of the the younger guys to to get that game like experience before we tighten up the rotations. But I'm just happy basketball is back. It was yeah. so fun watching everything on TV this last week. Yeah, it, exactly, and it it makes you feel like wow, like it, it's time is really moving because I mean, I, I basketball is back, NFL's here, playoffs for baseball, hockey's on the way. It, it is a a great sports month, October. Um, how important is training camp in terms of just you specifically? Not not necessarily anybody else, but like for you at this point, you just turned 27. How important is it for you to get minutes? Uh, what is the level of practice? Like what, what matters the most for your process? I think for me, it's just about getting game reps. A limited amount of game reps where you're coming off pick and rolls, having to read and make decisions on the fly in terms of, uh, do I hit the role man? Do I hit the replacement? Do I have a shot here? How to manipulate the defense again? Because you go through a, a six, a five, six month process of not getting hit by screens. I'm not having to travel uh, and perform on an 82 game schedule in six or seven months. And then you you go back into the season mode. So for me, the biggest thing is getting reps, getting back in the weight room, balancing that with playing, figuring out when to do hot yoga. And uh, just really getting ready mentally for the season because physically everything's there. Physically, uh, you prepare throughout the summer. You work on your body. You work on your game. You take the right amount of off days to to kind of combat your workload, and then you go right into the season. What's the leadership role for you now that uh, you know you're 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 basically? I mean, you and Dame, you average over forty eight points a game last year. You, I read an article in the Athletic where you talked about having lost ten straight playoff games, and how's that? And that's wearing on you. So uh, what is the leadership role? Because in this article, it also talks about how other guys have noticed uh, you stepping up in that in that capacity. Zach Collins, Evan Turner saying that there is a new voice in the locker room uh, that can complement Dame and help, help facilitate a leadership role. So where do you see that uh, fitting in for you? I think it's just the next step in my maturation process, honestly, figuring out how to help the team. Sometimes it means saying nothing. Sometimes it means, you know, pointing something out or being able to be held accountable. I think that's one of the biggest things I've noticed in great leaders is they lead by example. They show up early, they work hard, they stay late. So that way, when they hold you accountable for something, you've seen their body of work. You've seen what they've done in practice. You've seen what they've done in the game. And you have a certain level of respect for them. The next step is being able to to take criticism. And I'm at the point now, and I've been there for a long time, to where I tell people on the team, I tell the staff, hold me accountable. If I'm messing up a pick and roll coverage, hold me accountable. If you see me not coming off the screen and making the right reads, show it in film. Single me out, single Dame out, because the team will respond better when they see that you're coaching the best players on the team, the highest paid players on the team are held to this standard. So we all have to be held to this standard. And I think we're at that point now where – Dame has a lot of responsibility on him. He has to carry the load. He has to make the right decision, pick and roll. A lot of blame falls on our shoulders. So I need to be able to help him, not just on the court, but in the locker room to kind of convey a certain message to the guys so that we understand exactly what's at stake for this season. Having lost 10 straight playoff games, right. there needs to be a sense of urgency. Have, having got swept, you know, having a higher seed, there needs to be a sense of urgency. So we've conveyed that message early on and hopefully it carries forward throughout the season. You know, it's fascinating because players talk about, with other players, you know, stealing footwork or stealing a move. I know you've talked about it a lot, like how you watch certain guys, Brad Beal or Dame or anybody else, where you say, I like that move, I'm going to take that and add it to my arsenal, even Eric, your brother. So what's the conversation like when it's something more from a leadership perspective? Um, How do you talk to Dame? How do you talk to to Terry Stotts about this is what, 
they need from you or what you need from them or or DV? Like, what what are those conversations like when it's not just basketball focused? Uh, we have constant conversation and we communicate. I talk to DV every day. I talk to Coach Terry every day, uh, not only about our organization, not only about our team, but me personally, how I can improve as a leader, how I can convey certain messages and, and be another voice in the locker room. I'm breaking down film with DV. I'm breaking down film with Nate, You know, figuring out how to make the right passes and how to empower teammates. You want to get the best out of everyone. So that means sometimes you have to sacrifice. You know you how many shots you're going to get. Throw somebody else a bone. Somebody runs hard in transition, reward them. Somebody's open, you make sure you pass it to them. You make sure you put them in a position where they want to defend, they want to rebound, they want to make the hustle plays because they know and feel involved in the offense, in the franchise. So those are just some of the little things that we've been working on throughout my six-year career. It's not like a one-year process. We've been working on this constantly. And as I get older, as I get better, I continue to evolve on and off the court. And in terms of me as a, as a player and as a person, just figuring out how to lead. I, I've been leading my whole life. I led in middle school. I led in high school. I was a captain uh, on a college team where I played four years and helped in, engineer one of the greatest upsets of all time. So I, I know what it takes. It's just about figuring out when, when the right time is for you to step up and, and display some of those skills. And I think now is the perfect time. And we've talked as, a, as an organization, we've spoken to staff and figured out you know, how to coexist First off, how to, how to survive in the NBA, how to thrive in the NBA, and then how to bring others with you. And I think the best players are the ones that can bring everybody with them and hold everybody to a certain standard. And that's why certain people are successful in this league and certain people aren't. Do, do you feel, I wonder, see a pressure now to assume that role as you've created you know, this, this star caliber career for yourself? Like Now that you've become a name brand guy, and you and Dame are both considered, you know, one of the elite backcourts in the league. Like, do you feel the pressure to assume more and more of that role, especially at 27? Uh, there's no pressure. Pressure is getting here. Pressure is not having your lights on. Pressure is having a cold shower, seeing eviction notices on the door. That's pressure. This is just a game. This is a game I've been playing forever. So for me, it's easy. I, I'm already an extrovert. I like to talk. I like to communicate. I like to joke. So it's easy for me to speak out on certain things. Um, being able to work hard is something that I've always done and always possessed because nothing's ever been given to me. So it's an easy process for me. It's just figuring out when to say certain things versus when to not say anything. I think that's the that's the toughest transition is sometimes you see something, you, you don't have to always address it. You let it play out and then you speak on it later on. So I think that's one of the things I've learned. But in terms of being 27 or going in my sixth year, I always have a sense of urgency and I'm always paranoid. I stay paranoid because I know how hard it was to get to this point and I know how quickly it can all be gone. So I've always had the mindset to where prepare as if this is your last opportunity to ever play in front of certain people and make sure you put your best foot forward every day because you never truly know what's going to happen. You know, there's injuries, there's a lot of things that occur with this game. So I try to put my best foot forward and take full advantage of my summer that way. Regardless of results in the playoffs, regardless of how this regular season goes, I know I did everything in my power from a sleep standpoint, from a dietary standpoint, to a rest and recovery standpoint to where I put my best foot forward and live with the results. Yeah, you guys averaged, you and Dame, over 48. I mentioned that. That was only second to Chris Paul and James Harden for for backcourt. So, um, I, I you know, I'm... I'm excited to see what's uh, what's next, especially after meeting Dame in person and seeing uh, the rapport that you guys have. And as Stack Jack said last week, the respect and the way you guys lift each other up. Uh, I, I'm personally fired up for that. Um, around the league, what's buzzing for me is LeBron in L.A. I'm in L.A. right now. 
the Lakers always have this certain cachet and prestige. We know that, but I, I, I've spent a lot of time in LA and went to school here. I've never seen a player, even Kobe. I don't think I've seen Kobe galvanize fans the way LeBron had, just because it's so new and he's still at the peak of his powers. LeBron. Everywhere you go, you see a LeBron jersey, a shirt. You see people talking about him. You hear it. So um, it's it's been really interesting for me to see that before the season. Um, we talk a lot about pressure. Do you, is there pressure on the Lakers to to win a certain amount of games to go to the playoffs? Like, does does Bron even feel that? I think there's definitely pressure on all athletes to perform at a high level and be held accountable for their actions and what happens. But for him, I think that it's understood that they aren't the best team in the NBA. I don't think there's predictions and expectations for them to have the best record in the NBA. I think it's more so about how he continues to build that team, you know, how far they can go in the playoffs, what type of noise they can make. But I don't think it's championship or a bust for them as an organization, just due to the fact that it's their first year playing together. They have a lot of new pieces. They're in the Western Conference now, so obviously it's going to be a lot tougher each night to to win games on the road. You're going to have back-to-backs. There's going to be some interesting matchups in this upcoming playoffs. So I think for him, it's just more like he's going to go be himself. He's going to go be LeBron James, flirt with triple-doubles every night, average 26 to 30 points per game, hit big shots, take big shots, and continue to build his brand and uh, gear up for a Space Jam too while he's doing all this other stuff off the court in terms of putting on documentaries, uh, HBO's Barbershop, continuing to take advantage of his stardom while contributing greatly to, to society. The, there was an article, too, um, in Bleach Report by uh, Tom Haberstrow about social media, specifically, CJ, uh, the addiction that uh, is, he asked the question, is it out of control in the NBA? And, you know, we've touched on it a lot on this podcast. I think it's brought to light some of the issues that uh, around social media, specifically as it pertains to, to NBA players. Um, we talked about it with Stack. We talked about it with, with Dame. Uh, I remember Dame said that even when he takes a shower, he has to hold the phone until the very last second. And I know you and I have talked about it. I mean, the, the, the league's official Twitter has 27 million followers, uh, which is three more million than the, than the NFL. So um, what are you surprised that, that this is becoming more and more talked about? Is it a good thing? Um, I know you've talked about social media being a blessing and a curse. Uh, what, what was your reaction to hearing about this? It's a double-edged sword, but I'm not surprised that a lot of people are addicted. I'm addicted. Uh, I can admit it because I live this life. I see how I react to certain things. I see how fast or how quickly I am to go to Snapchat or to go to Instagram or to go to Twitter. And you can see your data usage. You can see how often you're on certain apps and how much of that of that app is draining your battery. So the proof is in the pudding. And, and for guys like J.J. Redick and certain guys to come out and say that they've had to log out, I can admit I've had to do the same things. I've had to log out and just kind of take a break from it because, uh, for one, there's so many more productive things I could be doing, uh, reading a book, meditating, just being more in tune with self-appreciation. I think me time is one of the most underrated things in this world, and it's invaluable. You have to be able to give yourself a break from everything basketball, fans, uh, critics, people that are, are truly fans of you. You need to give yourself a break and kind of remove yourself from that. So just seeing that a lot of people are dealing with this is not surprising at all because, for one, these are great apps. You can do everything on these apps. You can communicate. Yeah. You can convey messages, post pictures, videos. You can see what your friends are doing. You can see what family's doing. You can see what athletes that you admire are doing. 
and you can watch sports at the same time and get highlights and clips of jerseys and pictures of shoes. You can look at houses. You can do so many things on the internet and on these apps that it sometimes it's overwhelming how involved you can be in it. So to be able to remove yourself and take a step back is extremely important. Uh, do you have any issues with social media use and being and being able to put that phone down? Because I know in your industry, you constantly have to be aware of breaking news, whether that's fantasy football. Yeah. Obviously, I, I ask you questions about fantasy football every week to try to set my lineups, or whether that's a story that may break on a potential trade, firing, or hiring. Well, first of all, I told you to start Fournette last week, so... I didn't feel great about it. Yeah, thanks a lot for that. Well, I, you know, hamstrings are tricky. I didn't feel great, but I, you know, your team wasn't exactly, uh, <laughs> you know, ha- didn't have a lot of other opportunities for players to shine. So that wasn't just no. on me. I was glad he played. He had he needed to play, and he and obviously he didn't he didn't give you much. So I'm sorry about that. But no, it is it is a problem. I'll be totally honest. It's uh, it, it's been a a real problem because you know I'm covering multiple leagues, NBA, NFL. I, I do some college hoops, um, constantly trying to break news and, and do features. And then just for me personally, like selfishly, I, I want to know what's going on. So I, I'm re- a lot of times, not just social media, it's reading, but that's also on the phone. I mean, you know, it's, it's just a constant, like, how can I get away from this thing? But then again, like I, I might expect something or I might not be expecting something. Uh, I put my phone away for 10 minutes today. And uh, I missed a call from a GM, and then I was like, "Oh my!" I, you know, I had to get right back on the phone, and um, it's just like that is always something on my mind. And as someone with two kids and married, it's it's even more of an issue because I want to devote time to them. And you've talked about, you know, like is it just five hours? Is it a few hours? But if you if you have the phone with you, you're going to check it. It doesn't matter if you're on a date, if you're with the kids. It's always on your mind. So it's a problem for me. And uh, I know that in this article, J.J. Reddick talked a lot about um, it being an issue. And, and I think, you know, we, we've even seen players come to Barb's on social media. Uh, we had Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo Ball last year as teammates. Um, that 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 just seems to me like over the top, right? When, when teammates are not ta- not only not talking to each other, but they're exchanging blows over social media that that can't be healthy i think it's funny though i think it's all in fun because a lot of times if i can't communicate with a teammate or if they're not responding via text i will instagram them i will dm or tweet at them okay because i know they're checking the notifications like i just know for sure so i think it's funny and ironic that a lot of times maybe it's a message you don't care if everyone sees or sometimes you want everyone to see it like, yo, I've been trying to get a hold of you all day. Now respond to me. And then he'll get more messages and notifications from other fans. Oh, like, okay. hey, CJ's so trying it, to get in touch with you. It actually dominoes. Okay. So I think it's, it goes back and forth. But they're, they're younger. It's a domino effect if you really want to get in touch with somebody. But they're a younger team, so I'm sure they were just joking around and wanted the public to kind of see that they were making fun of each other. That's, that's a different way to look at it. I guess if in that respect, it's good. So, like, you know a guy is is checking notifications, but he's not responding to texts, but notifications he will be like, okay, now i got to get back to this this person or that person. Exactly, because we get so many texts in a day. Sometimes it's it's flooded. You can leave practice and, and return, and your group chat can have 25 messages. Shout out to my group chat. Your group chat can have 25 to 100 messages that you haven't read. So you're not going through all those messages, and then you have random stuff going on depending on what type of businesses you have outside of basketball. For me, maybe it's the podcast, maybe it's real estate, maybe it's a tech investment that's pending. And I have all this other stuff going on to where sometimes I don't want to read it. 
but I will go to Instagram or Twitter and your comments or your your notifications is a lot smaller than what you'll see in your inbox on your phone sometimes. Right. So there's a little give and take between those two. Do you find that like you or other players will check Instagram or Twitter even during a game? Because in the article, <laughs> there was a there was a point. Steph, Steph says that a few years ago he was checking Twitter during games, like at halftime. Have, have you done that or do you know other guys that have done this, the same? No, I don't check social media at halftime. I only text my brother. I talk to my brother because he's watching the game. And a lot of times he's in Europe or he's in China and there's a big time difference. And maybe he sees something in pick and roll he wants me to know about. Or he's just saying that he's about to go to sleep. So I uh, I usually only check to, to see what my brother says. My girl usually hits me. And uh, my agent usually texts me at halftime along with my parents. But that's it. I usually read the message and then I just bet. I just say bet or got you just so they know I read it and then go on with my day. But I've never, maybe when I wasn't playing, <laughs> when I wasn't playing is free game because I'm in a suit. So I might be looking at, at Instagram or Twitter to see uh, pictures or whatever whatever else is happening around the league um, at halftime. But to, to tweet or to do something of that nature, oh, absolutely not. The fine would be incredulous. Right, right. That's true. Uh, the reason I bring it up too is because you and I have talked a lot about sleep, and it's obviously a huge part of, you know, not only your but really athletes in general. Like we know without any debate that sleep is a plays a massive role in performance. Specifically, good sleep helps good performance. And in 2017, this is from the article, our researchers found that NBA players' social media habits uh, discovered a surprising effect on performance. And basically, it says. If you are tweeting late night, then you're gonna you're gonna play worse because you're gonna sleep worse. <laughs> um, and they basically suffered players percentage points suffered almost two percent shooting uh, <laughs> with non-tweeting nights. Now, now that's a lot, and I don't know how you gather all that data accurately, yeah. but two percent. I mean, that could be forty to thirty-eight, or in your case, eighty-five to eighty-three from the line, or something. I mean, that's. That's enough to say I don't want to be tweeting at 1 a.m. Hey, I mean, I think that sleep is important. Um, whether you go to sleep at 1 a.m. or not, that's your business. But in, in, in our lives, looking at time slots for certain things, shoot around is usually at 10 a.m. Practice is usually at 11 for us. So if I go to sleep at 2 and I get up at 10, that's eight hours of sleep. Uh, studies show you need you need seven to nine hours of sleep. That's to be productive and to be at your most restful state. A lot of players in the league take naps. So that, that means you're pushing your sleep back because you already took an hour and a half or two hour nap and you're going to go to sleep a little bit later at night. So I think that could be flawed a little bit because we land in cities at 1 a.m. all the time. We land in cities at 2 a.m. all the time. So you may be on Twitter, maybe you're conducting a Q&A and it's a, it's a, 2020 day, which means we're not starting till noon. So I can go to sleep at 2 a.m., sleep till 11. That's nine hours of sleep. And I feel great going into that game later on in the day because we didn't start until noon. So I think it just depends on how many hours of sleep you're getting, not necessarily what time you go to sleep, because you can you can go to sleep late and wake up late and still be great. So I think there are some flaws there, but sleep is definitely important. If you're not getting those seven to nine hours or whatever your body needs to recover, it doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter how much you rest or get massages or get cryo or acupuncture. If your body doesn't have time to, to recover in its natural state, which is sleep, you're basically, you're punning everything you're doing. You're just, you're wasting your time. Yeah, but there's different kinds of sleep too. 
the, the, the quality. If, if you're going to bed at 2.30 or 1.30, you, you might not get the same REM sleep as, and I'm not a sleep expert, but I read enough on it and talked to enough people that you might not get it, the same quality of sleep, which means you're not getting the same restorative effects effects and that that way you might not perform at the, at the highest level so i understand what you're saying it's very tricky uh being on the road as much as you guys are going into in and out of different time zones preparing and then playing at such a high level food i mean it's just it's constant and that's why you probably brought up earlier i would imagine see about like in the summer you don't have to worry about that stuff you know you, it's not as you don't have to beat a shooter on a 10 you don't have to be at a team meal it's it's more your schedule so when you get back into the flow of it, even now it in your sixth year, is is it like are you are you used to it? Are you accustomed to it? Or is it gonna take you, let's say, a month or two months into the season to adjust and get back on that calendar? No, I think I'm used to it now. A lot of times in the NBA, you get back to your city a little bit earlier, probably a month before the season starts, just to kind of adjust, just to get get used to your schedule. You maybe you're cleaning the house, maybe you're going through everything, giving away stuff. And kind of mentally preparing for the scheduling that's going to come. So you're used to the workouts, you're used to the recovery, uh, getting back in the gym, being around your teammates, trying to build that chemistry. But I think I think you you were right in saying that the REM sleep changes. Whether you're going to sleep at one thirty or two thirty, it changes because studies so you're you're supposed to eat at the same times and go to sleep at the same time. So your body gets used to that because then you're not in sleep mode if you're on your phone and you have that screen that's that's lit up like a christmas tree in your face uh your your body is 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 still in fight or flight mode instead of the rest and recovery mode so right I, you're you're very accurate with that statement i would say that it's hard though we travel so much you go through a summer of traveling working out when you feel like it scheduling everything around your schedule to having to plan your schedule around the NBA, around three games and four nights, three games and five nights, um, trying to figure out, you know, what you're going to eat at 1.30 a.m. when you're in Indianapolis and you just landed and you have a back-to-back. Like, what are you going to eat when it's only late-night menu available, which is chicken fingers and fried foods? So it's a, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope, but you have to be able to overcome certain things. If you look at just your team alone, CJ, you have a couple of really young guys, Gary Trent Jr., Anthony Simons. I mean, he's a teenager, and, and I wonder for him uh, and, and Trent, like if they – these are digital natives. If they have a bad game, are they used to checking out Twitter right away, and, and how does that translate? Um, because I would imagine that the team, the organization, has uh, at least informed you guys, hey, we – we need you to be careful with social media or here's the the right way to do it. Have they ever extended that type of uh, information uh, toward you? I mean, knowing that, you know, teams often uh, employ psychologists, have they ever asked you, do you need social media advice or we can offer this in terms of how to help you and guide you through this? They never really specified social media use. We just have clear rules about locker room around game time. We're not supposed to be on our phones on the bus to the on the bus to the game, and then there's a certain cutoff. I think 35 on the clock where you're not supposed to be on your phone because that's when our team meeting starts. But outside of that, I think there's obviously education on how to use social media in a positive light, uh, how to respond to certain things. You know, you go through that stuff with your agency or marketing team, and then okay. uh, the actual team will will work from a basic standpoint on do's and don'ts. It's kind of like being in a relationship. There's do's and don'ts in your relationship. There's things that are okay and there's things that are not okay. So um, I'm sure they've, they've taken those classes with Jer- Gary Trent having gone to Duke. 
one of the most hated schools in the country. I'm sure he had classes on how to use social media appropriately because I'm, I can imagine North Carolina fans um, have probably said some things that they they, sh- they shouldn't. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. So, there you go. So you, you've seen yeah. them go through that. But just based on the work ethic I've seen from them, like they already have patterns in place. They've been they've been preparing to be a professional athlete for a long time. You know, they get they get there early. They're foam rolling. They're working on their bodies. Uh, they take direction really well and want to learn and are eager to learn and get better. So uh, they they listen to advice well and will be very successful. Yeah. Well, also, like if LeBron's going into zero dark 30 and that works for him, then I imagine it works for, for other guys. Have you ever done that in the playoffs where you've cut off or at least significantly reduced your social media feed? No, I just try to stay consistent with whatever, with whatever I do. Um, I can be on Twitter and joking the night before a playoff game and go score 40 because I've done that before. And I cannot be on Twitter and go to a playoff game and go two for 12. So for me, it's, it's, it doesn't really matter. I think that I have a routine in place that I'm very comfortable with. Uh, I work hard. I prepare. I watch film. I break the game down. And uh, I, don't, I don't feel like there's a distraction in my play because historically, I perform well under pressure regardless of if I'm, if I'm reading tweets or not. I know how to block stuff out and differentiate between what's going to help my team and what's not going to help my team. But you know, I post pictures in playoffs and people will make jokes or talk about, oh, you need to focus on the game. And I'm like, it's 24 hours in a day. Like, I'm sitting on my couch watching playoff basketball. Like, I'm not out in the club uh, before a game six <laughs> or before a game five. I'm literally on the couch. <laughs> so I, I, I know how to prepare yeah. myself mentally and physically to where uh, it, it doesn't affect me. Okay, we've got more pull-up for you in a second. But first, I want to talk about daily harvest. Part of being healthy is staying active. And that means getting enough protein to fuel you through all your workouts. But it doesn't have to come in any form of a chalky, tasteless shake. To get the fuel you need with the flavor you want, you got to try the new protein smoothies from Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. It takes 30 seconds. Just add water or your favorite milk to your cup and blend or heat. Don't forget, you can also use almond milk. Daily Harvest's new plant-based ready-to-blend protein smoothies actually have me excited about gym days and weight room days. Also, you have flavor options like oats, sesame, banana, just to name a few. In any case, all these smoothies are going to get you through a workout, no doubt. So go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code PULLUP to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code PULLUP for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily-harvest.com. We have the uh, Shut Up and Dribble show that LeBron is producing and really excited about this. On Showtime premiering in about a month, uh, it's a three-part docu-series and Obviously, LeBron's doing a variety of different things, really interesting off the court, highlighted by the Promise School, but but now he's going to take his aim at the NCAA. What do you think about this, CJ? I think it's great. He's taking advantage of his platform, and I'm sure they've done a lot of due diligence. The research is there. The interviews are there. And they're going to come with a lot of facts and reasons as to why college athletes should be better compensated. Uh, these coaches are making millions of dollars. These universities are making hundreds of millions of dollars in some of these contractual shoe deals and sponsorship apparel deals that it's only right that kids benefit in some way. They can't like kids go to Michigan or go to Ohio State and you're you're rewarded three, four hundred, five hundred dollar pants. You can't even sell your pants. You can't sell your own merchandise, but they can sell your jersey. And there's a lot of conflicting things going on 
within college football. They'll sell a 21 Ohio State jersey, but won't put Ezekiel Elliott's name on the back, and he can't reap any of the benefits from it. So there's just a lot of things that are involved in this game that just just aren't right. Co- college coaches are being paid bonuses of two hundred and fifty to $750,000 for winning conference championships to getting to the uh, Final Four, and the players get a, what, free meals? Like, come on, man. There's there's some things that just need change. Sometimes not even, though. Yeah, sometimes not even. Like if I, that meal card goes out. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of times the dining room closes at 8 o'clock. So I'm at Lehigh University. The dining room closes at 8 o'clock. Unless I can go eat at a sorority house or fraternity house, our coach can't even order us pizza because it's an NCAA violation. You know what I mean? So that's the type of stuff you, you face as a collegiate athlete. And I just think that it's coming to light. You're starting to see that there's so much money in this sport. And I know there's the Title IX. There's all these issues about paying, you know, the rowing team or figuring out ways to to involve field hockey or some of these teams that don't generate as much funds. But there's so much money in basketball and football that they can spread it out. They can figure out a way to spread it out. Off the endorsement deals alone for some of these big schools, it's it's insane. Yeah, dude, it's, it's not only that, but like, even your former teammate Shabazz Napier, like I remember when he was in college, he was talking about how he didn't have any money to eat. His meal plan was out. Can, is there any logical explanation to that? And the answer is no. So I, you know, we can take it to, you know, likeness and selling paraphernalia. We can also take it to that, which is something as basic as just eating. Yeah, it's it's insane, man. We we still haven't gotten to the fan questions. You want to get to the fan questions? We got some good ones. Awesome. Okay, well, I'm gonna. I don't know if you've seen him, but but our man Devin Parikh says thoughts on what will happen with Jimmy Butler. Does he stay or will he get traded? I think he gets traded. I'm just not sure when. And I'm not sure where. But uh, we're we're almost what two we're two weeks away from the season starting. The season starts on October 16th, so we're very close to the season starting. So I think something's going to happen at some point. Um, because it's obvious he hasn't reported to training camp. Training camp's almost over. We got four games left, and uh, I don't think that I don't think that they'll continue to allow this to to slow them down. If you know what I mean, he's, it's obvious he's walking. He's going to walk for free, so you might as well get some value or asset for him at some point. Well, and it's just it's so unhealthy. I mean, I'm I'm in LA right now, and I'm actually at the the Wolves Hotel. Obviously, he's not here, and it's very strange when you're. One of your franchise players, who's a you know an All NBA guy, is not here two weeks before the season. It's just weird, yeah. and it's not a healthy thing. The longer it goes on, the, the, the you know the, the more more unhealthy it gets. So I I am with you. I, I don't see any situation, just like we talked a lot about with Kawhi, where there's a way to fix this. It seems like the damage has been done, uh, and there's a lot of collateral damage. Even if even if he wasn't traded. I don't think it's fixable. Um, so I, I'm with you there. N- number two is uh, Michael Necht wants to know, do you think players like yourself and Steph Curry actually benefited from playing at small schools? And we could also uh, add in Dame there as well with Weber State. I absolutely think so. Um, I think first and foremost, some of us weren't ready to play at that level, uh, physically or mentally, to, to play at the North Carolinas or the Dukes. I know, speaking on my behalf, my freshman year, I was very skinny. I was thin. From a talent standpoint, I was good enough, but I don't know if I would have necessarily beat out uh, some of those McDonald's All-Americans or upperclassmen that were already locked into roles at those schools. I think the second thing that playing at a small school allows you to do is it allows you to beat a man. It allows you to to have all the pressure 
on your shoulders, you know, having to distribute, having to rebound, having to play defense, having to generate offense. Uh, you win or lose, it's your fault. You go to North Carolina or Duke or some of those bigger schools like Kentucky, you got five McDonald's All-Americans on your team, so your role is reduced. And you're not able to quite see the, the talent that some of these guys have. You look at a Devin Booker. The way he plays now compared to how he played at Kentucky is totally different. Obviously, he got better. He worked on his game, but his role there was completely different than what it would have been at a smaller school. The same goes for Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns, and the list goes on and on. Some of those players, if they're in a different system or a different setting, you're able to see everything that player has to offer. You're able to see his decision-making, his ability to lead, his ability to, to score, generate offense. And I think playing at a small school just allowed me to learn it gave me a better appreciation for basketball because we didn't play on TV. We took ice baths and trash cans, and uh, some of the things that we had wasn't necessarily on par with some of the things that some of those bigger schools had, and obviously things change as time goes on. But I just have a, a greater appreciation for everything having gone through the unconventional small school route. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Devin, too. And I had to go to class. Yeah, exactly. For four years. <laughs> and I had to go to class. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't like you had to go to class for three months or yeah. one year. You. You were in class for four years at a, at a big-time school. Man, the, the professor-to-student ratio was nine to one. We knew everybody, first name. There was no big lecture classes, no lecture halls. Right. We were in there looking at each other like we were in high school. Like, hey, what's up? <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Devin, too, because I, I've spoken with him about this. And, you know, like if you think about his role at Kentucky— it was a lot of times just go in the corner, spot up, maybe one dribble pull up. It wasn't really play make or uh, make decisions with the ball. And, and now you see what he's doing at 21 already, you know, average 25 points a game almost last year. So uh, it's, it is a good point. And I think it can go both ways. Right. Some guys aren't ready. Some guys are ready. Uh, selfishly, I would have loved to have seen Mr. McCollum at Duke. <laughs> but uh, then we wouldn't have had the great, one of the greatest upsets ever. That's true. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's good and bad. Um, a couple more. Fat Pat wants to know, how do you feel about players who choose to stay away from the social responsibilities of, of a professional athlete to each his own or must be involved? I think to each his own. I think a lot of times fans and people want us to support certain issues, want us to speak out on certain topics, but I think it has to be in your heart. And I think the other factor is being educated on the actual topics that you're speaking on. Sometimes we don't know everything. A lot of times we don't know about certain things that are happening because we live in this little bubble. A lot of us grow up in the inner city, we grow up a certain way, and then your life completely changes and you're removed from certain situations to where unless you watch the news or on Twitter purposely like following certain accounts, you may not necessarily be aware of some of the trade tariffs that are going on or some of the things that are happening with, uh, with people who are trying to, to come into the country. There's a lot of issues that are going on, but a lot of times we aren't educated on the matter. So I think the first step is educating yourself on certain matters that mean something to you. And then deciding to speak out if if you so if your heart gives you that desire. But I think it has to be something you want to do, not a force like every player must speak out. No, some players don't want to speak out or they're not comfortable. CJ, you and I have talked about this a lot, and it's something that I think is important, even if you're not a professional athlete uh, like myself or, or many of our listeners, which is don't be afraid uh, to to read. Uh, don't be afraid to make yourself uncomfortable to learn about something else because I think it's it is important, don't you agree, to, to be informed, uh, especially with, with subjects you're, you're really not uh, comfortable with. I, I go back to that term because we're so used to reading or watching what we like or what we're good at 
Um, but I think it's important to to continue to, to grow as people, and and the only way to do that is to educate yourself. Yeah, I just, I just think it's important that you continue to strive for more knowledge. Challenge yourself. Challenge your brain. Your brain is how you operate and how you function, and it kind of controls the rest of the system. So being able to strengthen your brain is like a muscle. So I, I try to read certain things. I try to learn certain things to just kind of expand my my vocabulary, expand my understanding of things outside of basketball. And that way, if I want to have a conversation about certain topics, I feel versed in a lot of different subjects because I've educated myself on those subjects. And things that I feel I'm ignorant in, I try to expand my knowledge by learning, asking questions, finding people who specialize in certain careers, certain areas to give me their expertise on on certain matters. I'm a basketball player, first and foremost. So if somebody wants to be educated on basketball, I can do that. I can do that at a high level. So for me, if I want to learn about real estate, I'm going to go to Don Peoples. I'm going to go to a real estate expert who's doing certain things. If I want to learn about tech, I'm going to go to an expert in the tech world. If I want to learn about social media, I'm going to go to Jack Dorsey because he helped start Twitter. There's a lot of things that go on in this world, and, and people are afraid to ask questions or afraid to seem ignorant. And for me, it's it's easy. If I don't know something, I ask about it. And if I think I know something, I'm still asking because I want to expand my knowledge and understanding of all topics. Okay, so... Before we go, I still have three questions that I want to answer. All right, what do you got? The first one is Ezekiel Varela. Why do you think your brother hasn't been given a chance in the NBA or what needs to happen? I think this is a great question. So I have to answer it because I love my brother. So I think there's a lot of players capable of playing in the NBA that don't play. I think it's a lot of it's based on circumstance, where you're at in your life, and the opportunities provided to you and available to you. He's been invited to camps. He's been invited to non-guaranteed deals throughout his career, but he's at the stage where he makes enough money to where he doesn't want to risk a non-guaranteed deal where he can get cut on Christmas or before Christmas. And the tax implications on playing on a minimum are high in the United States of America. You lose a lot of money on taxes. You lose a lot of money on agent fees. Playing in Europe or playing in China, his taxes are a lot smaller. The team pays the taxes and the team also pays his agent fee. So he doesn't have to worry about certain things. So at this point, it's more of a business decision, but I'm sure he would love to play in the NBA if the right opportunity presented itself. So I had to answer that one. I'm sure Jordan can attest to a lot of players that he's seen capable of playing in the NBA that aren't there. Oh, no, no question. I mean, it's, and the longer you go without being in the league or being away from the league, then the more replaceable you are, at least in the eyes of GMs and and scouts like okay well we can get him for cheaper because he's 23 than this guy who might be a little bit better who's 28 and and you know there are plenty of NBA caliber players who are not in the NBA and I, I I've even talked to guys who will say that certain players that are in in the NBA aren't as good as others that that maybe aren't or are, you know maybe playing in the highest levels of Europe maybe in ACB so I I think it's a really good point and you know you asked enough people. And I'm not just saying this because he's your brother, but you ask enough people and they'll say Eric's an NBA player and there's really no question about it. Facts. Last one I'm going to ask. Russell Westbrook. (laughs) Your thoughts on the new rule changes to the offensive rebound and the 14-second reset instead of 24? I think that's a great question. I think that we've been working on it in practice and statistics show that usually on offensive rebounds, the team shoots before 14 seconds anyway. There's usually a kick out three or an immediate putback. But I think it will change how the game is played down the stretch. If it's a close game and there's 32 seconds left on the shot clock, when you would normally foul, 
you're able to let that time play out because it, it will reset to 14. So the, the game clock may be at 32, but if there's an offensive rebound, it resets at 14, which gives you, I don't know, nine seconds to spare if the shot is taken uh, after 14 seconds. So I think in that way, it will change how the game is played a bit, for sure. Are, are you are you surprised at the rule? Do you like the rule? No, I'm not surprised at the rule. I think they're trying to figure out ways to speed up the game. And I think, honestly, that's a good way. Mm-hmm to potentially speed up the game and to make it more enjoyable down the stretch of games. Whereas a lot of times you get a, you get the ball, you hold it. Right. Or there's an offensive rebound, you hold it, you kick it out and hold it to get fouled. Now the shot clock goes to 14 seconds, so you potentially have to shoot it again and make a play. Yeah, see, my thing with the NBA is that one of the reasons the league is so successful is that it's adapted, it's been nimble, and it's listened to its fans, it's listened to its players, and that's why you have the eight-second you know, half-court violation. That's why you have this new rule. That's why the shot clock at 24 um, not being fully reset is a good thing. I, I, I like this rule. I think the NBA has gotten faster and faster, which in turn has created a better product. But I think the reason it's important to have new rules like this and to adapt is because you, you need to understand who's playing. And the game is so much different now than it was 15 or 20 years ago because of the, the quality of athlete, the quality of player the speed and then the just the style of basketball that we're playing with 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 three pointers being so much more uh you know important and recognized and embraced so i i like it and i think um you know my my biggest issue just to elaborate my biggest issue with with nba rules is probably um the the hack a shack or hack a deandre jordan uh, i wonder where you're at on that <laughs> I think it's uh, a good problem to have, honestly. I think that guys need to work on their free throws. They need to get better at it. And I've been on both sides. I've seen guys get fouled on my team, and I've seen us do the fouling. And I think in order for it to be eliminated, players need to work on their free throws and get better at it. It's a part of the game where you can take advantage of it at the right time. But if you think about it, if the guy is able to split, you're getting one point per possession, which is pretty good in this league, one point per possession. So guys have to be able to make one out of two free throws in order for people to stop completely doing it. Do you feel like right now the rule is sound then? It doesn't sound like you've changed anything. I mean, I don't I don't really mind it. It, it stops, it slows the flow of the game up. But Yeah, the flow of the game. The flow it, of the it, game is slowed that's up. That's more where I'm going at. But at the same time, we're professionals. You need to be able to make free throws. Your job is to put the ball in the basket. Put the ball in the basket. If you split every time, people will stop fouling. Think about it. It's one point per possession if you make one out of two. Just make one. Just make one. Not that hard. Just make one. Just one free throw out of two. Just make one, and then people will stop fouling so much. Come on, CJ. Just Can't you be a 95 percenter? I should be, and I'll be close to it this year. <laughs> Remember this conversation. What's your career high free throw? I, I led the league not last season, but two seasons ago, 91 or 92. Two years ago, right. Yeah, I thought you were like 91.7 or something. Okay. Yeah. So this year, the preseason promise for pull-up pod is 93. I'll be 90%. I'll be, I'll be 90% or higher. Okay, can I take it a step further and go uh, 50, 50, 40, 90? Yeah, I will be close to 50, 40, 90 or above it this year. But I'm definitely going to shoot 90 from the line, which means I should be 50, 40, 90 because the free throws right. and the field goals are the hardest. The, the threes – right. I could sh- I've shot 40 every year, but two years. Right. No, that's easy. It's easy for me to do, so it should be easy for you. <laughs> Just so you all know, CJ's been ducking me you are for funny. so long. 
for a three-point contest. Oh, my goodness. And uh, the longer oh it goes goodness. on, the, the more I'm going to talk. Here this guy goes. Cue the wide music, please. It's been a long time since we discussed what we've been drinking, and I know that we've had a very productive summer and preseason. Uh, for, on the wine front, I would like to introduce the world slash listeners to the Jay Christopher. I had the Jay Christopher. I had a 2012 Pinot uh, the other weekend, and it was great. The great part about it is that the average price is $31.25. That's a pretty good rating at 4.2, and it's among the top 9% of wines in the world. And it goes down smooth. It's paired well with a lot of different options. Um, according to Vivino, it's very nice, strong at the beginning. It finishes nice, and the fruit is not overwhelming. And there's a touch of bitterness going down and lingering. After two glasses, I didn't notice any of that. I just thought that it was a very fine glass of wine that paired well with my pasta. I would recommend eating it. <laughs> I would recommend drinking it with anything because it is a very classy, smooth wine. Jordan, what have you had lately? Basically, you're saying it's like all the wines you drink after two glasses. It's the same, but it's really good. Yeah, but those first two glasses will be good, and it's a good price point, 31 bucks. That's that. That's that. That's huge. Uh, okay, that's fair. Uh, for me, it's it's an easy choice this week. It's Sunstone Winery up in uh, Santa Inez. I was actually there this past weekend for my best friend Ian's wedding. I officiated it, gave the best man speech. Uh, a lot of responsibility for me, but uh, I embraced it. <laughs> but with that said, of course, I had to make sure my Pinot was strong, and they had a fantastic Pinot. Great price point as well. I think it was uh, maybe a little bit more, around 40 but uh, it was great. And, you know, it's one of those, like, uh, very drinkable, light Pinots, and for me, that's that's what I love. So I'm a big fan, and um, I haven't seen the Vivino ranking, but I imagine uh, it's around your free throw percentage, very high. <laughs> That's what I like to hear, man. See uh, what I did there? Yeah. That's what we in the biz call... Uh, a segue? Well, I don't know what we call uh, it, but that is a, a pro move. A great analogy? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you this one. And I think our, our lovely producer, Matt, is going to go through our other 26 or whatever, 23, however many wine segments we've done. And we're going to start creating a list because at this point, we, we have given you some good wine recommendations that uh, are worth uh, profiling. We should be able to stuff everyone's cellar. Everyone's cellar should be really well-rounded at this point. Especially with Reds. Amen. Reds make the world go round. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your pods from. We appreciate all of you guys listening. And don't forget to pull up! Pull up! <laughs>